Thank you so much, Christy. Take your Bible and turn, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I heard Dr. Bob Jones Sr. say so many times, if he had an enemy, he'd tell him to start a college. And uh, I learned what he meant by that. But I will say this, if these two young people had been the only people that had ever graduated from Ambassador, it would have been worth it. Uh, and I'm so glad that God has brought them here to pastor this flock. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Thank you very much. You may be seated. In 1 Corinthians, you have 16 chapters, and every chapter deals with a problem that was prevalent in that local church. But uh, therefore, you have a number of your rebukes throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians. But I don't think there's any greater rebuke than he gave them but what we find in our text. Now, notice again what it says. What? Now, in this King James Bible, there's a question mark after the word what. I have some King James Bibles that have an exclamation point. And I believe rightly so. It's almost as though Paul says, what? And then he slams down on the pulpit. He's trying to get an exclamatory thought home to them. And he says, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Now, that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. You belong to God. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody in this building probably would reach over and pickpocket his neighbor. Now, maybe as I look around, I ought to qualify that. But uh, probably nobody would go next door and steal from his neighbor. But I venture to say that we have a number of people in this auditorium. Every day of your life, you live independently of the will of God and you think nothing of it. You don't have a right to do that. I want to say the biggest crook in the Atlantic area, Atlanta area, is not the person who's in the penitentiary for grand larceny. But the biggest crook in this area is a man, woman, boy, or girl who sits in a service like this and you realize that God has a claim on your life and you live and act independently of the will of God. You don't have a right to do that, folks. You belong to God. Very simply this morning, three reasons why you belong to God. Number one, you are God's through creation. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, you cannot believe Genesis 1-1 and believe in organic evolution. You know why? Because the word create means to make out of nothing. There was nothing there. There was no one seldom amoeba there. And God spoke the worlds into existence. Hebrews 11 and verse 3. Through faith, 
we understand that the worlds were framed, how? By the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So you cannot believe Genesis 1-1 and believe in organic evolution. William Jennings Bryan had it right when he said, if evolution wins, then the Bible goes. Now, folks, you don't believe evolution and the Bible. You believe evolution or the Bible. Have you ever thought about evolution from the monkey's viewpoint? Now, think of this. Three monkeys sat in a coconut tree discussing the things as they're said to be. Said one monk to the other, now listen you two, there's a certain rumor that can't be true that man descended from our noble race. Why, the very idea, it's a dire disgrace. No monkey ever deserted his wife starved her baby and ruined her life. And you've never known a mother monk to pass her, uh, to uh, leave her babies with others to bunk or pass them on from one to another till they hardly know who is their mother. And another thing you'll never see is a monk build a fence around the coconut tree and let the coconuts go to waste, forbidding all other monks to taste. Now, if I built a fence around this coconut tree, starvation would force you to steal from me. And another thing a monk won't do is go out at night and get on a stew and use a gun or club or knife to take some other monkey's life. Yes, man descended that ornery cuss, but brother, he didn't descend from us. That's evolution from a monkey's viewpoint. First he was a tadpole with a tadpole's fin. Then he was a tadpole with his tail tucked in. Then he was a monkey swinging from a tree. And now he's a doctor with a PhD. But ladies and gentlemen, you accept either the Bible or evolution. You do not accept both. You know, it's interesting that you can go through 66 books in this Bible and not one time does God try to prove his existence. Did you know that? Why? Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. Hey, God didn't have to prove his existence. His creation proves his existence. My wife and I took an 11,000 mile trip in our RV up the Alaskan Highway. And I'll tell you, we saw sights that were enough to make an atheist have a heart attack. Uh, you can't explain the Canadian Rockies, ladies and gentlemen. Now, my wife is from West Virginia. And you know, they talk about the mountaineers, but those Canadian Rockies would make the West Virginia hills look like molehills. And uh, you can't look at that. But what say there is an intelligent design behind it all. Psalm 19, one and two, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day at our speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Have you ever realized this? Every flower that blooms in the springtime points to its author, God Almighty. Every leaf on the ground in November is a miracle of God. If you took all the leaves together and you examined them, they're not two leaves that have the same identical pattern. Did you know that? 
Do you know there are not two grains of sand in all the world that are exactly alike? Now, if you're not very smart and you went to Minneapolis in January, you would see billions and billions of that heavenly bliss called snowflakes. But if you put every snowflake under a microscope, you'd find there are not two snowflakes that have the same identical pattern. Are you aware that every ear of corn you ate this summer had an even number of rows? Never an odd number of rows unless it is a freak of nature. Oranges and lemons have 10 segments. Grapefruit has 11 segments. Watermelons have 10 or 12 stripes. God's a God of order. You go on a clear night and you look in a telescope and in our Milky Way galaxy, one may view 100 billion stars. And you know what we're told about that? There could be as many as a billion other galaxies and ever the galaxy could have as many stars as we do in our own Milky Way galaxy. Our earth is tilted 23 and a half degrees away from our sun. If we were one degree closer, we would melt. If we were one degree farther away, we would freeze to death. Our earth is 8,000 miles in diameter. It is 25,000 miles in circumference. But if you cut a hole in the center of our sun, you could put 1,200,000 earths inside of our sun and they would still have room to rattle around. While our earth is uh, uh, 8,000 miles in diameter, our sun is 1 million miles in diameter. But ladies and gentlemen, the sun is a star compared, is a small entity compared to some of the other surrounding bodies. There is a star close by by the name of Epsilon, and you could put 30 billion suns inside of the star Epsilon. And you try to make me believe that that all happened by the process of organic evolution. I'm sorry, I'm too intelligent to believe that. That's like saying I took a handful of watch parts and I threw them up in the air and one million years later I came down with a Seiko watch. Isn't that dumb? That's like saying you went up with a plain load of bricks, you opened the doors and the bricks fell out and you came out with Canaan Baptist Church. Every building has to have a builder. Every design has to have an architect. And God spoke the worlds in new existence and he holds them up there by the word of his power. And then I think about man. David went out on a starry moonlight night. He looked at the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, the moon and the stars. He was aghast within himself. And in Psalm 8, 3 through 6, he said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, get it. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Oh, the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And when David viewed the handiwork of God, he felt so minuscule and he said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the thing that thrills my heart. God has not centered his affection on the beast of the field. He has not centered his affection on the star Epsilon. He centered his affection on you and on me. And if we had been the only people ever been born 
Jesus would have left the royalties of heaven, walked a sin-cursed earth, and gone to an old rugged cross for you. He's a God of the individual. Now, I think about man in relationship to the beast of the field. The beast of the field is a two-parted being. It has a mind and a body. You ladies and gentlemen are a tripartite being. You have a mind, a body, and a spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And that spirit makes you unique of all of God's creation. Think of this. Animals don't commit suicide. Only man commits suicide. Now, I had a dog that ruined two carpets, and I prayed it'd commit suicide. But man, only man commits suicide. Why? Because there is what is called the law of diminishing returns. What does that mean? All right, here's a God-shaped vacuum, and a young man is trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum, so he tries a cigarette. That doesn't do it. He tries uh, a whiskey. That doesn't do it. He tries drugs, that doesn't do it. He tries money, that doesn't do it. He tries immorality and that doesn't do it. So many times he winds up committing suicide. And only God can fill that God-shaped vacuum. I think about man. Do you know you and I are living in a body of a million miracles? Do you know that in your body there are 208 bones? Now if evolution were a fact, what is to guarantee that when you were born, one arm would not be five feet long and the other arm five inches long? Hey, if evolution were a fact, what is to guarantee that your nose would not be where your navel is? Or your eyes would not be on the bottom of your feet? And if you talked to anybody and you looked them in the eye, both of you'd have to raise your foot. Think of that. God's a God of order. Do you know that in your body there are 10,000 miles of blood vessels? Diameter of the earth, 8,000 miles. In your body there are 10,000 miles of blood vessels. In your ear there are 24,000 strings. If one of those strings is damaged, your hearing is impaired. And then I think about your brain. Now that's another matter with some of you. Some of you young people will bring your report card home and your dad will look at that and he'll say, son, you don't have any brains. All right, here's what you need to tell them. You need to say, dad, I've got a brain that consists of 14 billion cells. He'll say, well, why don't you use it? See, and if the right cell is damaged, you, my friend, are a candidate for a mental institution. No wonder David had to say in Psalm 139, verse 14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now here's the question of the ages. Why did God put you and me down here on planet Earth? Why? I read about a multimillionaire in England who lived his 80 plus years, spent his mega millions of dollars for one reason, to perfect the spotted mouse. Must have been related to Vice President Gore, but he spent his 80 plus years, spent his mega millions of dollars to perfect the spotted mouse. You say, my, what a fool. All right, let me ask you a question. I'm from near Charlotte, North Carolina, and you are aware that Michael Jordan is part owner of the uh, Charlotte Hornets now. And in his Hall of Fame speech, he 
mention that he may unretire again. And he's won six world championships in basketball. So uh, the Hornets really need him. And uh, say he leads the Hornets to their seventh world championship. And he fulfills the desire of his heart. Do you know that he was in the Chicago White Sox chain? And he's always wanted to play Major League Baseball. So hypothetically, he gets elevated to playing for the White Sox. Leads them to a World Series championship. He makes $100 million in endorsements every year. And dies without Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, has Michael Jordan done anything more than live to perfect the spotted mouse? I say not. Now here is why God put you and me down here on planet earth. Isaiah 43 and verse 7. Even every one of you that is called by my name, I have created him, get it, for my glory. I have formed him Yea, I have made him. What is the first thing people think about when your name is mentioned? If anything supersedes your personality that you glorify God in your life, you, my friend, are a crook. You belong to God. Number one, you're God's through creation. Number two, if you are saved, you are God's through possession. Verse 19, what know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and you're not your own. All right, look this way. Before Jesus ascended up into heaven, in Matthew 28, 20, he said this, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. Now here's my question. If 2,000 years ago, Jesus ascended up in heaven and today he is seated at the right hand of God, how can he be with us always? The answer is found in John 14, 16, and 17. And I will pray the Father that he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I was saved at the age of 15. For three years I was a defeated Christian because I thought that God was somebody you turn on and off like a light switch. I would get down on my knees and I would say, now Lord, go with me as I go to school. Go with me as I go to work. Go with me in my everyday life. Lord, just go with me. You know the thought that transformed my life? When I was 18, three years after I was saved, I realized this tremendous truth. When I get down to pray, I'm not praying to a God who is a million miles out in space. But the God who created the universe lives in my body. And when I realized that, it transformed my life. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 2 Corinthians 6, 16. For what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Colossians 1 and verse 27. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, for he has said, I will never leave thee 
nor forsake thee. Acts 7 and verse 48, howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Are you listening? Hey, the most misused word in the English language is the word church. We go down the road and we see a beautiful edifice like this and we say, isn't that a beautiful church? Are you listening? This is not a church. This is a church building. And if the church does not reside in it, it's only bricks and mortar. Now, I go into a lot of auditoriums and I will see over the door sanctuary. Are you listening? This is not a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. You know where the sanctuary is? Your body. Your body is the dwelling place of God. Now, go over a page to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. Here is a grave warning about this sanctuary or this temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 17. It says, if any man defile the temple of God, him will God what? What? Destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, there's a play on the word, destroy and defile. It's the same Greek word. And you know what God is saying? Whatever we do to our body that is harmful, God will cause it to be done to us. Hey, that means bad habits. The American Cancer Society says that with every cigarette you smoke, you take eight minutes off your life. That's a fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 3.17. If it's anorexia, bulimia, or gluttony, whatever you do to your body that's harmful, God will cause it to be done to you. I have a friend that he's been a friend for over 50 years. He just went to heaven about six months ago. And Neil Cadwell told me this before he died. He said, Ron, I am a poster boy for 1 Corinthians 3.17. Neil got up to 350 pounds. And when he died, he weighed about 160 pounds. He said, I defile my temple. And he said, I'm going to a premature grave. You cannot play loose with your body without playing loose man came to a preacher one day. After hearing him preach, he was visiting in the service and the preacher had really gotten with it and he'd preach about smoking and drinking. And he came to the preacher and he said, preacher, he said, I didn't enjoy your message. He said, you're so negative. You preached against smoking and drinking. He said, I don't see anything wrong with smoking a cigar. I enjoy that. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I'll take an occasional drink. He said, well, I'll tell you what you ought to do. Go down to the altar in your fine ornate church, take you out a cigar and light it up right there. And he said, while you're there, take your pint of whiskey, pour your shot of liquor, drink it up right there at the altar. He said, preacher, that's the silliest thing I've heard of in my life. He said, why is that silly? He said, preacher, don't you know that's a house of God? He said, wait a minute, friend. You're the house of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if it's wrong for you to do something in this auditorium, it is wrong for you to do it at all. Your body is the dwelling place of God. Do you know, young people, we have diseases known to this generation that have never been known to any other generation. 
50 years ago, there were two sexually transmitted diseases. 50 years ago, two. You know how many there are this morning? 25. 25. No other generations experience herpes. No other generations experience AIDS. And it would seem to me like our legislators would say, now God, you're trying to tell us something. What are you trying to tell us? And he's trying to tell us if we play loose with our body, we're playing a losing game. Uh, young people, look at me and listen, please. I want to help you if I can. Here are two young people who go to a public school. Do you know that in the average public school, they can go to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor will issue them contraceptives and instruct them how to use those contraceptives so they will not get a social disease. All right, now follow me. Here is a young couple out of wedlock who take all kind of precautions against getting a social disease. They have an immoral relationship and many times they wind up with a social disease. Is that not right? Sure. All right, on the other hand, young people here, your parents, they're saved. They've never been unfaithful to each other. They have a normal marital relationship. They take no precautions against getting a social disease. Question, have you ever heard of a social disease being contracted by that type of union? You never have and you never will. You know what God is saying? It is wrong. It's wicked. It's sinful outside the boundaries of marriage. It's pure, it's sacred, it's holy within the boundaries of marriage. And do you know, young people, you can go to the grave with AIDS because of a one-night stand? Did you know that? I had a lady come to me after hearing me preach along this line. She said, I'm a nurse. She said, last week I stood by the bedside of a 19-year-old girl dying with AIDS. She said her confession to me was that she had only had two immoral relationships in her entire life, going to the grave with AIDS. A young lady ran off from home with her boyfriend, went down to Florida, stayed in a motel for a week. After the week was over, she said, I'm going back home. He said, well, I want to give you a gift. But he said, I don't want you to open it until you get home. So when she got home, she opened the box. In the box was a little casket. She opened the lid of the casket and it read, Welcome to the world of AIDS. One week in an immoral relationship. Pastor, years ago, I had a young man brought in my office after summer vacation. He was in tears. His RA was with him. And uh, I said, how can I help you? And he said, Brother Comfort, I blew it. I blew it. He said, this summer I lost my purity. And he said, I guess I'm disqualified from being a preacher. I said, no, no, you're not disqualified from being a preacher. But I'll tell you what you're disqualified from. Listen, two weeks ago in Southington, Connecticut, I could stand before 200 young people and preach and I could say this, young people, I turned 80 years old on September 14th, but in all these 80 years, I've never committed adultery one time. And I can stand there and challenge them to say, listen, 
Keep your body pure till you stand at that marriage altar. I said, I'll tell you what you're disqualified from. You're disqualified from standing before 150 young people and saying, keep your body pure. I've never committed adultery. I say, when I say that, it has some weight to it, but you've disqualified yourself from that. Brother Ingram, I never thought that when I started in evangelism 57 years ago that I would have to thunder against adultery in our fundamental Baptist churches. I never thought I would have to do that. But I want to say no longer is baseball the favorite American pastime. Adultery has become the favorite American pastime. And young people, let me challenge you. The most wonderful thing in all the world, are you listening? It's to stand at that marriage altar with no confessions to make to your mate-to-be. I thank God that when I stood there, nobody could point to my wife and say, I robbed her of her purity. Nobody could point to Ron Comfort and say, he's an adulterer. Keep your body pure. Number one, you're God's through creation. Number two, you are God's through possession if you're saved. Finally, go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. You are God's through redemption. Notice, please, verse 20. It says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are God's through redemption. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now in closing, there are two things I want you to notice about redemption from the word bought. Number one, you find the cause for redemption. Do you know what that Greek word means? To buy back from a slave market. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we need to be saved because we were born in a slave market of sin. Romans 6, 17, we were the servants of sin. Romans 7, 14, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Ephesians 2 and verse 3, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. John 8 and verse 34, whoso committed sin is the servant of sin. Romans 3, 10 through 13, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. All right, now let me encourage you young parents. A lot of times we teach our children to parrot phrases because we want them to get saved as early as we possibly can get them saved. And we get them to uh, parrot phrases like, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, I want him to come into my heart. And many times they go through that whole scenario, never seeing themselves as a dirty, hell-deserving sinner. Now, folks, if you have never seen yourself that way, you cannot be saved. Young people, listen to me. If your mom and dad say, son, you made a profession when you were a little boy, but you say, mom and dad, I don't remember one thing about it, then probably you need to be saved. 
I was preaching in Lansdale, Pennsylvania years ago. And during the meeting, we had a ladies' luncheon. It was an evangelistic luncheon. We encouraged the ladies to bring somebody from their work to the service, and I'd preach a simple evangelistic message. So I did. I gave the invitation. 23 ladies came down the aisle to get saved. After we were dealing with some of them, somebody came to me and said, Brother Comfort, there's a lady getting ready to leave this morning, and she is really upset. Would you go back and talk to her? I said, I'd be glad to. So I hurried back to the back and I took out my hand. I said, ma'am, thank you for being here. I said, your presence was an encouragement to us. I said, now we've got Wednesday night, Thursday night and Friday night left in the meeting. Would you honor us with your presence? She said, I'm not coming back to this church anymore. I said, why? I said, did somebody mistreat you? I said, weren't the people friendly? She said, listen, you intimidated me. I said, ma'am, would you mind explaining that I intimidated you? She said, why, you made me feel like I was a sinner. Well, she got the message, didn't she? She said, I'll have you know my mother was a good woman. I said, in all due respect to your mother, you're not saved because you had a good mother. She said, I want you to know I've always been religious. I said, ma'am, if you got to heaven by religion, Jesus died as a fool on Calvary's cross. And she went out that day as lost as Judas Iscariot because she would not admit she was a sinner. The cause, bought from a slave market. Number two, the cost, we're bought with a price. Hallelujah the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the mission of sins. Hebrews 9 and verse 20 saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God hath enjoined unto us. Hebrews 9, 22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 13 and verse 12, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people his own blood suffered without the gate. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hallelujah for the blood of Jesus Christ. Now in closing, take your Bible and turn to Isaiah 53, please. There is enough blood in Isaiah 53 to save every Jewish person on the face of planet Earth. Folks, if I did not believe the Bible for any other reason, intelligence would force me to believe the Bible on the basis of Isaiah 53. Why? It was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. I want you to tell me who you see in Isaiah 53. 700 years before the birth of Christ, all right? Notice, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form to comeliness and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grace, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, get it? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb before the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. And for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Get verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Get verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Look this way. Can you fathom that? They put Jesus on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. From nine o'clock till 12 o'clock, the sun beat down upon his parched body and he cried out, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar to drink. And then at 12 o'clock, a strange phenomenon occurred. The sun went down, the earth cried out and the rocks trembled. And from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, there was the darkness of the midnight over the entire earth. And ladies and gentlemen, as it got toward 3 o'clock, he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you remember reading in the Gospels before the cross where Jesus addressed his father as my God? He never did, folks. It was always, Father, do this, Father, do that. He never called him my God until he hung on the cross. Why did he call him my God rather than Father? Because at that time, Jesus did not have a father. He who was his father had turned into his judge because your sins and mine were upon Jesus Christ. And God being a holy God, regardless of his love, could not look upon his son. And then, ladies and gentlemen, as it got toward three o'clock, he cried the most triumphant word that has ever been uttered. He cried, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. And all of a sudden, the veil of the temple rent from the top to the bottom. Thank God it didn't rent from the bottom to the top. If it had, every liberal preacher would have said, man did it. Man couldn't do that. It took 350 priests to manipulate that veil. And God Almighty reached over the balcony of heaven with his divine finger and etched a division down that veil. Why? So for the first time since the Garden of Eden, you and I could come into the presence of God for ourselves. It is finished. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the sun began to shine. Why? Because the justice of God was satisfied in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And he looked over heaven's portals and he said, I'm satisfied. He shall see the travail of his soul 
and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Question, who do you see in Isaiah chapter 53? I see Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. A farmer drove a team of high-stepping horses into a North Carolina town on a Saturday. He hitched his horses to a hitching post and he started to enter a store. Something frightened the horses and they ran wildly down the road. The farmer, not thinking about his own life, ran in between the horses, tried to bring them to a halt. But they rose on their haunches and they came down upon the man's body. There the man lay broken and bleeding. A crowd hovered around the man and somebody said, Sir, why did you give your life for this team of horses? The dying man's words were these, Look in the wagon. They hurried to the wagon, they pulled back the cover and there they saw a little boy asleep on the hay. The next day as they buried this heroic father, no one dared to say that the price was too great. Oh, my friend, he died for you. He died for me. His blood can atone for all our race. What wonderful love that came from above to suffer and die in our place. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed. It was.